Hello there, and welcome to the All Day Digital Podcast, where we talk to industry executives and thought leaders to get their perspective on a wide range of factors shaping the communications industry. This podcast is brought to you by CoBank's Knowledge Exchange Group, and I am your host, Jeff Johnston. On today's episode, we get to hear from Brian Vogelsang, Senior Director, Product Management at Qualcomm, to help us understand the metaverse and what it means to enterprises, consumers, and communication providers. You know, some of the largest technology companies in the world are investing billions of dollars into creating the metaverse. For example, social media giant Facebook recently changed its name to Meta and pledged to invest at least $10 billion per year into building the technology. Qualcomm is playing a key role in the metaverse, and given that Brian is leading the company's product development efforts in this area, we thought he'd be a great person to talk to to help us understand the technology. And spoiler alert, he didn't disappoint. So, without any further ado, pitter-patter, let's hear what Brian has to say. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much, Jeff. Uh, great to be here. Hey, let's let's uh, let's talk metaverse here. So, I think when we think about the metaverse, it's a really broad category, right? I think with a lot of different applications. And I think for today, Brian, what I'd love to do is focus on the metaverse from an augmented reality and virtual reality standpoint. Um, so maybe kind of help the listeners understand, you know, what is the metaverse from that perspective and and why should we care? Fantastic. Yeah. So so we uh, at Qualcomm, we, we truly believe in the potential of the metaverse. And we've actually been investing in the underlying technology uh, to enable the metaverse for over a decade. And, you know, we'll continue to do so to, har- to help our partners, you know, build and, and realize its full potential. But these are technologies like machine learning and, and connectivity and computer vision and graphics processing, as well as augmented and virtual reality uh, technologies, which I think are really important for, uh, for, for bringing the metaverse to life. Because when we think about it, um, it's really a, a, a persistent kind of spatial internet that is personalized. It's like social enabled digital experiences, and it's going to span both our physical and virtual worlds. And today in technologies like virtual reality, you can really immerse yourself in those virtual spaces and, you know, visit them as an avatar. And, um, but ultimately it's going to evolve to digitally enhanced physical spaces as well with augmented and mixed reality. So it's just, it's something that's not new to Qualcomm and, uh, and, and we've been, you know, investing in it for many years and are just really excited to see it now, um, coming to the forefront of the discussion. Okay, great. So, so let's drill down on that a little bit more. So, I mean, is there going to come a day where I'm going to be able to, you know, wear a, a pair of glasses and instead of watching uh, the the Super Bowl on my 65 inch flat panel display in my living room, am, am I going to actually watch TV um, through my glasses? I mean, is that the kind of stuff that we can expect people to to be doing in the metaverse or or, or what? For, for sure. So if we think about how kind of digital information has been consumed over the past few hundred years, you know, it's it's been primarily in 2D from, you know, pen and paper or uh, paintings to, uh, you know, evolved into computing. And, you know, the, the computer's interfaces have evolved. We've seen, you know, we've gone from mice and keyboards to touch interfaces 
in our smartphones now to using our voice to communicate with computers. So those have evolved, but the way that information is displayed has pr primarily stayed the same. It's in, it's in two dimensions through a rectilinear screen, whether that's a television or a monitor or a, a laptop or a smartphone. And so one of the things I think that's really key is uh, with, the, with the metaverse is we'll be evolving to spatial computing. And this is basically the screen disappearing and the world becomes your desktop or your, your home screen. So uh, when it comes to you know, computing in the real world and the real world metaverse, we're definitely going to see the use cases like you described where you, know, you can kind of make a virtual screen anywhere. And that might be a 2D screen or even more important, I think the way content is created is going to change. And instead of it being built for a you know, two-dimensional viewing pattern, it's going to be immersive 3D content that lives in the real world that you interact with in 3D. That's really interesting. So could we eventually live in a world where we don't use smartphones anymore and instead are consuming all of our content and communicating through, through headsets? Yeah, I think that um, you know it's it's going to take some time for this technology to become pervasive, but you know I I, I think that in terms of an ev evolutions in computing, this is going to be an extremely large one. You know, we look at at PC computing, we went to the desktop, and then we went to the cloud, and then you know we went to mobile computing, and spatial computing is this you know next evolution. Of, of how we'll compute. And so I think that perhaps, you know, the, the, the kinds of experiences, once you experience them in 3D, in the real world or in a simulation and in, in virtual, something like virtual reality, there's so many in, uh, inherent benefits to that, that many experiences will just, that will become the way we want to, uh, to use them. And so perhaps the, you know, kids that are born today, by the time they're teenagers, they're not going to want to use the social media product of like, let's say TikTok or something, if it's not a 3D immersive application. If it's if it's on a 2D, you know, smartphone screen, that's going to not going to feel like the right way to experience those things. So is the smartphone going to go away? I'm not sure it's going to go away, um, but I think the kinds of applications that people are going to want to use are increasingly going to become immersive 3D and, um, and live in the real world. And and that means we'll perhaps be using those uh, phones less over time. But this is going to take, you know, decades, I think, to, to happen. I mean, look at smartphones versus PCs. We still use, it's not like we, we compute today uh, with our smartphone. We compute with our PCs, but our PCs aren't gone. We still, you know, are using them for, for certain use cases, but more of our time is spent on the smartphone. So I think we'll see maybe a similar pattern repeat itself with these augmented reality glasses. Yeah, I think that that's a that's a really good comparison. And and I think while a lot of this sounds so futuristic, I mean, when you've got heavyweights like Qualcomm investing the money they are uh, in in the metaverse, and then you've got Facebook, who's been very public, of course, you know, changed their name to Meta, and they're spending ten billion plus a year. Uh, on the metaverse, and I'm sure Apple and Google and others are making similar investments. So when there's that kind of money being thrown at a new technology, um, you know, uh, we certainly got to pay attention because there's obviously something there. For sure. And I, I think it's not a, a question of, of if, I think it's just a when. When will these technologies be in the mass market and in, in consumers' hands? It's already starting to happen in enterprise and in consumer virtual reality. But, uh, but I think with, with time, it will, uh, it's an inevitability. So actually, just real quick on that, you mentioned enterprise. So when you think about the adoption 
of of these technologies should we expect to see primarily this being adopted enterprise first and then make its way to consumer or do you see sort of parallel tracks here it's a great, great question. So if we look at, at VR and AR, we kind of have to look at enterprise and consumer you know, separately in each of those categories. So of course, consumer VR is available today. People are using it for gaming and entertainment, for social, for fitness, for you know, viewing concerts and, and other things. Um, on the enterprise side for VR, this is an area of the market we're really excited about. We, we see training as being a really uh, an area that the industry has achieved great you know, product market fit around around virtual reality technology. You can imagine if you're trying to learn a hard skill or a soft skill to be able to immerse yourself in a simulation and um, and learn in an embodied way. This is uh, it just triggers you know that learning process in a different way. It feels like you're you know you're experiencing it in real life. Whether this is something in a corporate setting like diversity inclusion training. Or it could be something where you're in learning a hard skill about how to assemble or operate a piece of machinery or equipment that might be too expensive to shut down and, and train you on. But putting you in a simulation, you know, the costs are, are lower and then people retain the information as, and learn about it as if they'd been working with the real thing. It's really interesting to see the commercial use cases side of VR start to flourish. We see devices like, you know, the HoloLens 2, or, um, you know, we see devices like, we call them assisted reality. It's more of an AR experience where you're wearing a camera and a, a, and a display, and you're doing things like getting guided work instructions. So walking you through step-by-step instructions of doing a specific task or remote mentorship. So if you're in the field and you need help with something, you can call back to headquarters. They can see through what you're seeing, through the eyes of that camera on your head, and then they can walk you through or annotate on the real world and that sort of thing. So, so that's kind of where we're seeing commercial VR, uh, or excuse me, AR uptake. And then on the consumer AR side, this is very, very nascent. So that's actually a part of the market that you know Qualcomm is is working to um, is to help accelerate. Is how do we get to a point where you know one day we can all all have access to consumer AR glasses. Well, it's amazing how many different applications and use case scenarios there uh, will eventually be based on what you just said. So that's that's really exciting. So um, I want to talk a little bit about what Qualcomm is doing because Qualcomm really, I think, has been at the center or really a key technology enabler in mobile since, I don't know, the mid-90s. Um, I think every phone pretty much out there has got some kind of Qualcomm technology in it. So no, no doubt Qualcomm, I'm sure, is playing a critical role in the uh, and the development of this new technology. So maybe you can help listeners understand a little bit about, you know, what Qualcomm is doing to help make all of this a reality. So w- one of the things we're best known for are the chips and the, the system on chip that we build. And these are really power the devices at the, at the platform level. We deliver the, the hardware, graphics processing, uh, AI hardware blocks, computer vision blocks that allow these devices to, uh, to be built. So you think about the MetaQuest or, you know, devices like the HoloLens 2, those are built on Qualcomm's, you know, chipsets. And then we also provide the persistent connectivity to the metaverse. So if you look at, if you're connecting one of these devices to a digital twin, or you need to be connected to um, an augmented reality, you know, map of the, of the world that you're interacting with. That's done through um, through wireless, and Qualcomm's a leader, of course, in 5G 
and, uh, and, and Wi-Fi. But then we're also enabling the core technologies in augmented and virtual reality. These are graphics uh, and, and spatial audio, um, the perception technologies. So be, when you put these headsets or glasses on, they need to be able to perceive the world around you and understand it, whether that's, let's say, tracking your hands or tracking your body and its physical location in a room, understanding the phys- physical geometry of the room so that if you're placing you know, augmented content into it, that it's um, oriented in the room in a way that is, it feels real. And so these kinds of perception technologies were, you know, investing heavily in and enabling those kind of foundational building blocks that others are building upon to to create these devices. And then also with Snapdragon Spaces, between the devices and and the chips and the connectivity and the core technologies, you know, we kind of see Qualcomm's the ticket to the metaverse because we're, you know, kind of enabling all the foundational technology and the end devices that are allow people to experience it. So I like Brian to transition a little bit here and talk about the networks that in, that need to help sort of enable all of this to come to life. So we've talked about the the, the chipset and the devices and some of the applications, but you know, we need wireless networks, we need wireline networks, fiber and so forth to you know to to bring all of this connectivity together. Of course it exists it obviously exists today, but I'm curious to get your thoughts as we think, you know, a few years down the road, it seems like these applications are going to be pretty bandwidth intensive and require fairly low latency. So I guess A is is that true? And then B, kind of help us think through what all this means to the likes of wireless operators and wireline operators. I mean, are they ready for this? Do they have the right architecture in place to support these, again, what sounds like bandwidth? low latency type applications. Love to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, it's absolutely the case that that um, this technology will leverage the the networks and the capabilities we get from 5G in terms of latency and throughput. The um, If you think about what we're trying to do with these both augmented and virtual reality headsets is make them smaller. And we want to get them, you know, virtual reality headsets are three to 400 grams. Today, uh, augmented reality headsets, maybe 130 to 300 grams. A normal pair of glasses is 30 grams. Okay. So we want to reduce the size of these things. And in order to do that, we need to be very power efficient and, and deal with the the heat that that the all the components like the displays and other things generate. In order to get them to these smaller form factors, we need to be thinking about where should we be doing the processing. And so one of the areas that we have been working in is around distributing the processing between the glasses and the smartphone and the smartphone and the network, so the edge of the network. And so I think that operators will play a critical role in enabling the edge computing resources, particularly around graphics and um, and rendering, to allow these devices to become smaller and offload you know, some of that processing to the network. And so we're, we're doing this today. We're, we're seeing this in, v, in VR. Uh, and, and I think in augmented reality, we're, we're also going to see it. It's really uh, about doing the right processing on the right part of the system. And, uh, and that may be partially in the glass and partially inside the phone and then, you know, uh, in the edge of the network as well. So I get the edge computing part of it. Do you think this also means that wireless operators need to start thinking about making their networks, I don't know, 
denser, I guess, from a access point standpoint, standpoint, like, do we need to think about, um, higher bands of spectrum with small cells and more access points to address some of the latency requirements? I mean, how do you sort of think about all that from a broader architecture mm-hmm. standpoint for, for these operators? We've done some, you know, experimentation where we deployed, deployed proof of concepts using, you know, VR headsets on private networks where the antennas are closer to the device using unlicensed spectrum and uh, in some cases, you know, light licensed spectrum. But um, latency is is really really key uh, to to maintain and um, and throughput's important, but I would say latency is even more critical for this this kind of thing because you, you think about what we're doing if we want to render off of the device, we need to take you know the, these devices they track the user's head position and orientation and then they track their their eyes potentially as well as if they're let's say they're holding a controller or they're maybe they're using their hands. So we're tracking their hands. All that information needs to be sent up to a edge graphics processor and then, um, and then rendered and then encoded and streamed back. And then we need in that low latency uh, circle, when it gets back to the headset, we need to adjust for any changes that the body or the eyes or the controller hands have made in that round trip. And so we do some things around prediction technologies to account for and make the latency seem seem lower. But at the end of the day, you can't have low enough latency for this kind of use case. And if you do have latency, then what you visually see isn't going to be correct. And that could that could translate to feeling nauseous or or just the experience is not very good. So I think that that edge computing is really important and being able to have uh, lower latency connections and the, t- the topography of the network and how how things get deployed is definitely something that we need to be thinking about. Yeah, and I guess I would think that from an enterprise standpoint, the path might be a little bit easier because we've got private 5G networks that they can build so they can really customize mm-hmm. um, you know, their network to make sure that the latency needs are met so that people aren't getting vertigo yeah. and things like that, right? Yeah, and that's, those are the kinds of trials that we've we've done, where um, where it's been in a more of an, a controlled, you know, private network type environment. Um, but as we get to wide area, uh, let's say augmented reality, where let's say we're we're using augmentations on the real world and we're out and about doing our daily lives, then we're going to need wide area, you know, low latency connectivity as well if we want to do if we want to offload more of that you know, intense graphic processing to the network, that sort of thing. Gotcha. Hey, let's just jump back quickly to the device side of things for a second. And I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on batteries. So kind of hear me out here for a second. When I, when I think about these glasses or these um, headsets, these AR, VR glasses or headsets, I mean, it sounds like the processing capabilities in these devices is going to be pretty powerful from a graphics rendering standpoint and so forth. Um, obviously, the Snapdragon processors are, are quite powerful and rumor is that that Apple is going to put their M1 chip, which is currently in the Mac, you know, the rumor is, is that that's what's going to end up going inside of their whatever version of AR glasses they do. Um, so that seems like a pretty powerful chip to go inside of a, of a pair of glasses. So I guess, Brian, my question is, I mean, do you think that we have the today that we have the battery density, power supply that will do two things, right? One, allow manufacturers of these goggles or these glasses to make stylish looking pretty things that aren't big and bulky. So, do, you know, can we get a battery small enough 
um, to put inside of there to, to make that happen. But then at the same time, um, are we where we need to be for that battery to be able to support what I think are going to be pretty intensive graphic processing applications, which tend to be, I think, a bit of a power hog. I mean, so can we sort of meet those two requirements without users having to reach for the power cord every couple of hours to recharge their glasses because it feels like to yeah. me that's a pretty big challenge but maybe i'm not thinking about it the right way so. no it, it's a it's a huge challenge so dealing with thermal uh, limitations in the as we get smaller and smaller glasses how do we dissipate that heat load and how do we cram more like the display and optics technology require power they're power hungry and, uh, and so one of the things that we're spending a lot of time thinking about right now is how do the smartphone and the glasses work together in order to deliver an experience that, um, that is distributed across those, those two devices? If we take a, a pair of air glasses today, we'll, we'll put a processor inside the glasses with wireless connectivity um, in the future to the smartphone. And this will allow the smartphone to handle some of that rendering workload with its, with its larger battery so that you know you're not as reliant on the GPU in the glasses themselves for that rendering pipeline so the glasses processor can handle the perception type workloads how do you understand the environment around you and tracking the, the hands or the eyes and that sort of thing but the actual graphics process lift would either happen on the phone or happen on the mobile edge. And so we're, we're spending a lot of time now thinking about how do we do that remote rendering? And then it's all about power. It's all about how to balance that system. It's also about if, as we think about wireless, like we mentioned previously, there was, you know, these, we've done these proof of concepts and low latency wireless connections for VR headsets. And it's what data do you transmit over between the glasses and the phone or the glasses and the phone and the network? And how do you optimize that system in a way so that you're you're not transmitting everything? You want to transmit as little as possible to still get the experience that that you need. I think that it's it, it comes down to systems design. It comes down to thinking about power in every design decision that's being made. So it's about distributing the processing and about moving more of the workloads into the hardware. That'll that'll maybe get us to smaller glasses that. Um, that'll have longer battery life. Now the battery technology needs to improve as well. <laughs> it's uh, we can't stop, stop there, but then it's always a trade-off. Like where do you put the battery? You know, if it's, if it's a VR headset, you have more flexibility because it's a little bit bigger device, but if it's AR, you know, you've got to put them typically in the, in the sides of the glasses and then that makes them um, thicker. Yeah. They got to look nice. <laughs> Which, and then you have to run more, more wires. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Jeez. A lot of moving parts <laughs> between the device and yeah. the network. Yeah, that's really something. That's right. Well, Brian, we've covered a lot today. Um, so this has been just fantastic. Is there anything that I didn't ask? I mean, well, I'm sure we could go on and on forever and ever, but is there any other sort of salient points that, uh, that you'd like to make or do you think we covered the main things? I think we did. You know, I think that we're just really excited with the momentum that we're seeing in the market now around uh, augmented and virtual reality. We're really excited about the role that Qualcomm plays in enabling the ecosystem. So with technologies like Snapdragon Spaces and working with developers. Well, it feels like the old adage of it takes a village applies here, right? And you guys are certainly leading the charge. So that's uh, that's great. Can't wait to see how this all plays out. Awesome. Great. Well, uh, Brian, thanks so much for being here. This is fascinating. I, I'm I'm a technology kind of a geek, so I'm, I'm really excited to see how this all evolves. And uh, we'll be watching... Uh, uh, be watching closely. So thank you so much for being with us here today. 
Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate it. Now, I know it's difficult to think about using virtual reality glasses to watch the Super Bowl instead of on your 75-inch 8K television or beaming a hologram of grandma and grandpa into your living room. But as Brian mentioned, this isn't a question of if, it's a question of when. And when you have tens of billions of dollars being thrown at this by some of the most influential and largest tech companies in the world, well, history would suggest we shouldn't be too dismissive. And of course, all of this promises to have a profound impact on communication networks, given the bandwidth intensive nature of these applications. Hey, thanks for joining us today and watch out for our next episode of the All Day Digital Podcast. The information provided in this podcast is not intended to be investment, tax, or legal advice and should not be relied upon by listeners for such purposes. The information contained in this podcast has been compiled from what CoBank regards as reliable sources. However, CoBank does not make any representation or warranty regarding the content and disclaims any responsibility for the information materials, third-party opinions, and data included in this podcast. In no event will CoBank be liable for any decision made or actions taken by any person or persons relying on the information contained in this podcast.